verses 66 through 69, it says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The question that is posed to the twelve is posed to us today by our Lord Jesus Himself. Simply says, do you want to leave? You're going to leave too? Many have walked away. Many. How about you? Jesus asks us this question all throughout our spiritual journey. It's not a one-time experience. Oftentimes we hear this question when we're going through difficult times and trials. Oftentimes we hear this question when we have doubt. Maybe there's a passage of Scripture that we fail to completely understand or maybe His call on our life is just too much and he asks us that question over and over throughout our spiritual journey. Are you, you going to leave as well? Do you want to go away too? This passage of Scripture that we study this morning is rich, rich. I, I challenge you to, to read it this coming week. Just read through it. John chapter 6, why don't you begin about the, about the 25th verse and read through the end of the chapter. And then what I would ask you to do is say a prayer. Holy Spirit, reveal to me your truth in this passage of Scripture and then read it again. And then I would ask you to say another prayer. Holy Spirit, help me to see this in light of eternity. Not in light of the moment. That if I was in heaven looking back down on my life and I read this passage of Scripture, what would it mean to me at that point, at that time? We begin our study of this passage of Scripture this morning with verse 26. It's a verse that we looked at last week, John chapter 6 and verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And Jesus is recognizing because he sees the heart of people and he knows what's going on in the heart. By the way, I don't see your heart. And I don't know what's going on in your heart. But Jesus sees your heart and he knows what's going on in your heart. And he knows that these people are here because they have eaten well. He has provided for them food. And they follow him for that. It reminds me of what the passage of Scripture back in the second chapter of John says. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Here, 
we see again Jesus evaluating the heart of men. When I think of the heart, I think of what motivates us and what drives us. I, I think of, of why, why we do what we do. I believe these two verses, these two short passages of Scripture are kind of the crux of the matter for us today. Do we worship Him because of what He does or who He is? Are we here this morning for what we receive or to worship the King? I don't know your heart. But Jesus does. We see in this passage of Scripture that we look at this morning that the tension, the tension between the spiritual and the physical continues. Jesus is speaking to us in the spiritual realm and so often we hear Him in the physical realm. Every time you open God's Word, every time you study the Scripture, Every time you go to His Word to learn, it must be looked at in the spiritual realm. It must be looked at with an eternal perspective. Much of what Jesus teaches us is to provide for us in the moment. But we can't receive that and we can't get that and we can't apply that unless we're looking at the passage of Scripture in the spiritual realm and with an eternal perspective. That's especially true, I think, of this passage of Scripture that we look at this morning. Chapter 6, Gospel of John. It begins with Jesus wanting to get away with His disciples, but their time alone is interrupted by a large, large crowd of people Every time Jesus is interrupted, He seeks to minister to people. And so He does here in chapter 6. And He feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 men, I should say, plus women and children. He leaves and gets away by Himself because the people wanted to make Him their king. They wanted to make Him a political king. But he's not a political king. He is the king. So he got away by himself, and the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark that he made the disciples get into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. They came upon a storm. A storm came up. Jesus walks to them on the water. When he gets into the boat, the storm stops. And they are immediately at their destination. We know that they landed near or in a city called Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was an important city in New Testament times. It was probably the home base for Jesus' Galilean ministry. It's where the mother-in-law of Peter lived and probably where a lot of the disciples stayed when they were with Jesus during the Galilean ministry. He is in Capernaum. He is in the synagogue. 
in verses 31 through 34, we see the beginnings of this dialogue that takes place throughout the rest of the chapter. Jesus is in the synagogue. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, and it was packed out, by the way. I imagine that there were many, many thousands even of people outside of the synagogue trying to overhear and to listen in, to eavesdrop on what was taking place within the walls of that synagogue. One of the religious leaders says to Jesus, our fathers are the manna, our fathers are the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread. Very similar to, you remember the the woman at the well? Jesus said to her, if you will partake of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. Spiritual. She hears physical. Give me that water because I don't ever want to come to this well again, she said. Very similar, Jesus says that the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Their response is, give us this bread. Again, that tension between the spiritual and the physical. Jesus was saying to them this story that they knew so very, very well that when God provided manna from heaven to the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness, that was a picture of Jesus. That was a, a, a picture, it was a sign, it was a foretelling of Jesus. And Jesus is going to begin to teach these people that He is the bread of life. It says in verse 47, John chapter 6 and verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. He says up in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. They started this conversation about the manna from heaven. Jesus takes that opportunity to explain to them who He is and what He's all about. He says, I am the bread of life. It's the first of seven I am statements given by Jesus in the Gospel of John. In chapter 8 and verse 58, he simply says to them, Before Abraham was, I am. I am being a, a title that indicates deity. You will remember that when Moses was with God, Moses says to God, Who are you? And God's answer was, I am. That I am. I am. God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And, and Moses says to him, who should I tell him sent me? And God's response was, just tell him, I am sent you. 
The Jewish people understood this title very, very well. When Jesus used the words, I am, in chapter 8, they knew what he was saying. They were saying, I am God. I am. He was making himself equal with the Father. Seven times in the Gospel of John, he says, I am. In this sixth chapter, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I'm the light of the world, indicating that it's in the spiritual realm that we have understanding, that we're not blinded, that we're not in darkness, but it is through him that we have understanding of spiritual truths. Chapter 10, he says, I am the gate. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. Chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am your provision. I am your guide. Chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In these seven I am statements is everything you need for life. Jesus is all that we need. Then he says to these people, I am the bread of life. They get into this conversation about what that means exactly. Jesus says to them, just as your fathers consumed the bread in the wilderness, so you need to consume me. Just as the bread in the wilderness was their sustenance, I need to be your sustenance. He's speaking to them in this in this spiritual realm. He's speaking to them spiritually. They're hearing what He is saying in the physical. They lack the understanding of what Jesus is trying to communicate. Verse 60, the crux of our time together this morning. As Jesus is teaching them that He is all that they need, that He is their sustenance, that they are to consume Him, that He is to consume their lives. He says to them, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The response of those who are hearing it say this in in verse 60. Many of His disciples heard it, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What was so hard about that saying? Jesus says, rest in me. Jesus says, rely on me. Jesus says, depend on me. Jesus says, in me you have eternal life. Jesus says, in me you have your provision. Jesus says, I'm all that you need. Jesus says, I will guide you. Jesus says, I will protect you. Jesus says, I will go with you. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. What is so hard? I want to tell you what was so hard. The hearts of the people were what was hard. Not the words of Jesus. The hearts of the people. And Jesus sees our hearts. It gets hard. We all love Jesus until He demands more than we think He should demand. We all love Jesus until He gives us less than we think He should give us. 
And then, in those times when we hear his words, we think to ourselves, well, that's a very hard teaching. I know that every Sunday when we preach the words of Jesus, when we preach God's word, there are many who simply respond with, listen, I'm just not quite there yet. I'm not going to do that. Whether we're preaching on serving or we're preaching on giving, there's this certain place that we get to where we go, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to give all that yet. And Jesus knows our hearts and we, we find sometimes that His teaching can be extremely hard. I want to share with you this morning, I want to suggest to you this morning that it's not the words of Jesus that are hard, it's our hearts that are hard. It's our hearts that are unwilling to receive. It's our hearts that are unwilling to accept. It's our very lives that we're unwilling to give. We will not deny ourselves. We will not take up a cross. We will not count the cost. Because there's just so much of me you can have, God. I have a life, after all. We hear His words in the physical He speaks these words in the spiritual. I think that when God's Word is spoken, when God's Word is given, we can narrow down to three responses. Always. When you hear, when you receive God's Word, there are really only three responses, and always it's one of these three responses. It's kind of like the parable of the soils that we have talked about in the past. Here's the three responses. One response is just outright rejection and unbelief. I don't believe it. I don't accept it. By the way, people like that, they don't bother me. They don't bother me near as much as the people who receive God's Word with a conditional belief. When there's a demand or a cost, they, they disappear. They receive it. They receive it gladly. But when it costs them something, they disappear. They have no desire to let go of the world. They have no desire to deny themselves. Those people concern me. So there's a response of outright rejection. There's a response of conditional belief. It takes place in this auditorium every single Sunday. And there's a response of true faith. All throughout the New Testament, we are told that there are only a few that receive God's Word this way. It's a small group. The pathway is narrow, it says. I found this verse in Luke chapter 12 and I, 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 I just stumbled upon it. It says, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think that, that he uses that word little flock there on purpose. With this understanding that there's only a few who will receive Jesus' words unconditionally, with true faith, just believing. Just accepting, denying self, taking up the cross, counting the cost. There are only a few. He says to those few, fear not, little flock. 
It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Verse 63, Jesus continues and He says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Those are Jesus' words. They are spirit and life. If we want spirit-filled services, we got to preach the Word because His words are spirit. We want to preach life, we have to preach the Word because His words are life. What is hard about that? What is hard about spirit and life? There's nothing hard about that. It's our hearts that are hard. Jesus says to them, a whole bunch have left. Do you want to go away as well? I love this passage of Scripture. I love Peter's response. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. By the way, when it says his disciples, these were people who had come after Jesus to learn of him, which was, which was quite common in those days. As a matter of fact, that's kind of how people went to college. They would, they would choose a rabbi or they would, they would choose a spiritual leader and they would actually pack up and leave home and go and follow that leader for some time. A lot of people, after seeing what Jesus was capable of, after seeing these signs, after seeing these miracles, after eating the bread, they wanted to follow Jesus. There was a whole bunch of them. Thousands upon thousands. But at this turning point in Jesus' ministry, this beginning of the third year of His earthly ministry, He starts beginning to tell them what it would cost to follow Him. And He uses words like, denying yourself and taking up your cross and being willing to die and count the cost before you follow me. And it says that thousands upon thousands walked away from him. After this, many of his disciples turned back. This last year of Jesus' ministry, we're going to see that it was a very, very difficult time for Jesus and his disciples as the threat of impending death gets greater and greater and greater. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You know, we could just dismiss that. We could say, to whom shall we go? I mean, Jesus. I mean, that's... But but you know what? I think that's a question that we um, encounter every single day of our lives. Every time the world offers us something, it's a question that we have to answer. To whom will we go? Some of us will we'll go to the movies just to escape for two or three hours. Some of us, it's got to be um, a friend. Or some of us, it's, it's the bottle. Some of us, it's work. You know, that's where I go. That's, that's, my, that's where I am fulfilled. That's my sustenance. That's... That's what drives me. That's what makes me go. Any of a number of things. Peter says to Jesus, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are you going to go? It's really the same question that Jesus asked when He says, you're going to go too? You're going to go to the world? 
You're going to stay with me? The question is asked. Jesus, and, 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 and Peter says, look, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? It's you that has the words of life. It's you that has the words of life. Peter's really beginning to get a grasp on these things now. It's interesting to me that he didn't say, Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the one that fed 5,000. You're the one that healed the blind man. You're the one that raised the dead. You're the one that healed the lame. Where are we going to go? No, Peter's beginning to see, where are we going to go? You're the one who has the words of life. And then he says, look, you are the one, let me read it, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. In verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think that the order there is important. We believed. And then we came to understand. We believed and now we know. This is why earlier in the chapter, when Jesus was asked, what is the work of God? What do you want from us? What would we, should we do? Jesus says, it's the 29th verse, this is the work that you believe in the One whom He has sent. That you believe in the One whom He has sent. What do we learn from, from those who stayed with Jesus? Where else? What else? And who else? You are the Holy One of God. Look, I don't want to muddy this up because this is so very, very simple, isn't it? This is so very, very simple. You're going to go too? This is, a, this is a Memorial Day kind of sermon. This is about denying yourself. This is about sacrifice. This is about willing to die. That's the call on us as His true disciples. Would you give Him everything? Would you deny yourself? Would you take up your cross? Would you truly follow Him? In a moment, before we close our service, Pastor Jim is going to come and um, he's going to share with you some announcements and things that you need to know. And one of the things that he's going to tell you that uh, starting June the 7th, two weeks from today, for the entirety of the summer, we're going to go to one service, 10 o'clock. I'm all for that. I'm excited about it. I like having our church together and I like having a full room and I like worshiping together and I like the fellowship and, and I'm excited about that. We have been talking about it for three or four weeks. We made that decision early this week and some of you are aware of that. This past week, I've really just in the course of conversation, I had people say to me, hey, I, um, 
Understand, we're, we're going to have one service in the summer. And you know what? I found myself almost embarrassed because it was like I was kind of admitting to them that we, we've taken a step back. We, we couldn't have had one service in the summer a year ago or two years ago because there's too many people. And I, man, I prayed about this. Lord, what's going on? You know what his answer to me was? John chapter 6. That there's only a few who are willing to say, I'll deny myself. The reality is this that our attendance this year is 100 people less than it was last year. And as a pastor of a church, that could be extremely discouraging to me, but I am not discouraged. The reality is also this. We have more people involved in small groups than we've ever had. The reality is also this. Our giving is, it, it, is exactly where it was this time last year though we have 100 fewer people. So how do I evaluate those numbers? What do I do with that? I become excited because I think that we have more people than we've ever had that are willing to say, I'll give you everything I have. I'll deny myself. And I'll take up my cross. And I'll follow you. I think we have more people than we've ever had they're saying, let's reach this community for Christ. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to do, that's God's call on our life. That's the mission that He's given us. That's our purpose. That's our goal. I know that there are some in this auditorium who need to kind of reevaluate where you're at. I don't know your heart, but Jesus does. And you do too. as our team leads us in this time of commitment, maybe, maybe you would want to come. Nobody will bother you. You just come. Maybe you just want to recommit. God, I've, I've allowed myself to desire the world over you. I've allowed myself to live in the physical instead of the spiritual but not anymore. It's not because of what you do, it's because of who you are. And Lord, if you don't provide, I'm going to still worship you. And Lord, if the relationship's not reconciled, I'm still going to worship you. And Lord, if I don't get the promotion, I'm still going to worship you. And Lord, if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, I'm still going to worship you. Maybe... That's a commitment you need to make this morning. What a great time to do that on Memorial Day. I want to invite you to stand. Here's the question. Are you going to leave too? Lord Jesus...
have your will and way in every heart and life. You've made clear your desire, your will for us. We count the cost. We would give you ourselves. In Jesus' name.